0: guest speaker. Um, His name is Reverend John Curry, and just some background information on our speaker today. Uh, He was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, He moved to Canada, to northern Alberta, and he lived there, uh, got married there. He came to the States, the United States, for seminary, and uh, is now uh, serving Uh, as a professor of pastoral theology at Westminster Seminary, right in Glenside. Uh, He was first converted uh, in a Pentecostal church, uh, and then he did pastoral ministry in the Christian Mission and Alliance Church for 10 years, and he is now an ordained uh, elder in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. So, Reverend John Curry has a background in the Pentecostal Church, Uh, all the way to now the OPC, which is one of the most orthodox, conservative, uh, Presbyterian denominations. So he has the best of one world. (laughs) I kid. Um, And uh, he is here. we invited him here to to share God's word uh, during this Advent season. He'll be preaching from Isaiah chapter 9. And so if I can ask Reverend John Curry to come forward.
1: good morning it is a a privilege to be with you it was a a real joy uh, to be with you in worship and just to see uh, and with you be led uh, just to the Savior so clearly and rest again in his righteousness for us alone his friendship towards us by grace that was a privilege and uh, I'm so thankful to hear about your mission emphasis at the church uh, your pastor mentioned I spent 10 years as a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor, and one of the great uh, benefits of being in the Christian Missionary Alliance is they embed in you this passion for missions that just does not go away. One of my uh, favorite uh, moments was looking at our missions campaign poster, which had the great commission from Matthew 28 under it, and then uh, had the, that open globe, the picture of the globe, and underneath it the motto was "Get It done." And uh, I just love that spirit, and uh, Lord willing, uh, that will not go away. So it's a privilege to be with you today. I've had the privilege of getting to know your pastors uh, through Westminster Theological Seminary, where I now serve. And, And my joy today is to bring to you the Word of God and open the Scriptures to you. So could I invite you to take your copy of the Scriptures or on the device that you have or in the uh, Bible that's in the pew in front of you. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9. If you're using that Bible that's in the pew in front of you, I believe you'll find that on page uh, 573, Isaiah chapter 9. And this morning we'll be looking particularly at Isaiah Uh, chapter 9 and verse 6 but I'm going to begin reading back in chapter 8 verse 11. The context is really important for us to understand just what God was promising his people and what we as his people are now uh, able to rest in and rejoice in. So if you've got a Bible turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 and then just find your way back to chapter 8 verse 11 and would you listen as I read the inspired, inerrant Word of God. Isaiah 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with His strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy... Let him be your fear, let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken up. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling warrior in in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word of promise that you gave by your Spirit through the prophet Isaiah. We thank you, Lord, that we now sit at this point in the history of your redeeming your people where we are on this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that you would grant us the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to open up the Word of God to your people today, that we might, in our circumstances, see Christ, and that we might be drawn to Jesus, and that we might turn from our sins and trust Christ even more than we did when we walked in. Oh, Lord, would you help your servant as I preach your word? We pray that your people would hear Christ and that in the power of the Spirit, uh, their faith would not rest in any man on earth, but in God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pay attention to the news in your news feed, you'll know perhaps that this past week, the Senate of the United States voted to condemn the prince of Saudi Arabia in the killing of a Journalist, and tied to that vote to condemn the prince of Saudi Arabia for that act was also the vote on the War Powers Act to withdraw funding that the United States was giving to Saudi Arabia for its war in Yemen. And the providence of God, through a number of circumstances, I actually had the privilege of being in the gallery of the Senate this last Sun, this last week, as that vote was taken and those speeches were made, and I was able to look down and hear the speeches and see the senators. Uh, make their comments and again and again senator after senator argued from the humanitarian crisis that is occurring in Yemen tens of thousands of children dead famine darkness disease injustice that is taking place a number of years ago you might remember it was Aleppo That nation in Syria had become the strategic center for the civil war that was being raged. And as you looked at the the news and you read the, the news reports, there were images pouring out of that city of devastation and heartbreak. Neighborhoods that had been reduced to utter rubble. Civilians, the elderly, to the children who were navigating crumbled ruins and carrying all of their possessions in a plastic bag or a shopping cart as they happened to flee the city. In November, I was in uh, Hong Kong speaking at a conference to uh, 500 pastors from mainland China and had the privilege of speaking to them about preaching the Word of God. And as we were sitting in conversation with one of the leaders from that movement, he was telling us about a village in one of the provinces of China. It's actually a Muslim village that had refused to receive agents from the the Chinese government. And in their treatment of those agents from the Chinese government, the Chinese government had responded by rolling into the city and into the village and killing everybody in the village and actually raising the village to the ground and burying it in a hole as though it never existed. With some exceptions for the advent of modern technological warfare, That was the immediate future that Israel had coming when you get to the end of Isaiah chapter 8 and the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9. The year is 734 BC and the superpower in the world is Assyria. Its king is Tiglath-Pileser III and he is subjugating all of the nations in his region to his service. And when Assyria conquered a nation, they would flatten the towns and the villages, they would transport the treasures back to Assyria, and they would displace and deport thousands of people to places they did not belong. And part of Isaiah's message in the book of Isaiah is that God is going to use Assyria to judge Israel for its serial, multi-generational unfaithfulness to its God. Eventually, Assyria would roll over Israel, particularly Galilee, particularly the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And if we had read chapters 7 to 8 together, we would see that the dreadful judgment would come in images of withered, dry, barren, overrun land with briars and thorns, and as we heard at the end of chapter 8, the people will be plunged into thick darkness. I don't know if you've ever been to Haiti, but if you go to that nation, that kind of thick darkness is the experience that you have. As you drive through the countryside, you wonder, why are the hillsides completely bare. Why are there no trees? And the answer is that they have all been harvested to burn for charcoal. And as you drive through the countryside, all you can smell is this acrid, pungent smell of the burning charcoal pits that are smoldering everywhere. And you look at people as you drive by on the road with this hopeless, idle look in their eyes. That's the way things looked, and worse when the blitzkrieg of the Assyrian military machine was done with the nation. Desolation, darkness, devastation, and death. Maybe you have a little taste of that in your life this morning. Perhaps if the circumstances of your life as you walked in this morning were truly known, maybe you feel a lot of darkness. Maybe there's a great deal of distress maybe you're oppressed maybe death looks like it's just on the horizon maybe it's a maybe it's a medical situation or a medical diagnosis maybe professionally your life has just suddenly begun to spiral out of control or there's there's fracturing and there's friction and there's dislocation in your family or maybe it really is the angst of the global situation in a 24-hour news cycle world, who's leading us? Where are we going? This feels like we're headed to oppression and injustice and chaos, economically and socially. If that's where you are, Isaiah chapter 9 is actually a good news passage. It's a, it's a hope-filled passage that was given to God's people because it reveals that after the darkness of God's judgment, God is going to bring light. Isaiah chapter 9 gives us God's promises of a future, not of devastation and of darkness, but a future of deliverance. So if you're looking for the one thing that you take away from Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, it's this. Isaiah chapter 9, this text in this season tells us that God has sent light and liberty through His Son so that we would turn and trust Him. That's what you need to take away if you don't get anything else out of this sermon. God has sent light and He has sent liberty through His Son so that we would turn from our sin and trust him. Perhaps uh, you might remember uh, the Copiapo mining incident in Chile at the, in uh, 2010. There were 33 miners who were trapped 2,000 feet underground for two months. They survived for two months in utter darkness. And when they were finally rescued, they were brought up through a small shaft out of, out of the ground into the sunlight. And can you imagine what the effect on their heart, the effect on their mind might have been as they begun after those months in darkness to see the light and finally be brought out into the light? Well, that image is a little token of the dramatic, life-changing difference that God effects between the end of chapter 8 and the beginning of chapter 9 in Isaiah. After judgment, not gloom, but gladness, he says. If your copy of the Scriptures is still open, look with me at verse 3. Look at the promise that comes after that thick darkness. You have multiplied the nation... You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. What a difference from the end of chapter 8. See, for people who grew up in a rural society before the advent of modern technology and things like grain elevators and cooperatives and mechanized milking and the benefit of all of that, these Images of feasting and rejoicing at the harvest were really potent. See, we've got used to it. For for most of us, for many of us perhaps, uh, the expectation is going to be that in this season, there'll be plenty on the table. If we, most of us, if we run out of food, we just go to Costco or we go to some other grocery store and we buy whatever we think we need. They lived in a world. Where the provision of food was much more tenuous than many of us experience. If the elements or the locusts didn't destroy your crop and foreign armies didn't trample over your vineyards at harvest, then you rejoiced at harvest. You celebrated that you had enough, that you had abundance. Well, that's what Isaiah's drawing on in this. In this passage, to inspire the memory for people who are about to be plunged in the thick darkness. He says, remember the feast days. Remember the dancing. Remember the laughing. Remember the crowds and the singing. That's what it's going to be like when God acts to bring you light and to bring you liberty after the darkness. But the point of the passage this morning and in this season is how God is going to bring about that harvest-like joy. He says He will bring the light. He will bring the liberty through the birth of a child. Look again, if you would, at verses 4 to 7. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of, of the trampling warrior, warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, here's why. of the Lord of hosts will will do this. Here's the hope that the oppression will be lifted, that the weapons of warfare will be utterly destroyed. It's like Isaiah is saying, listen, you've heard that paralyzing sound of Assyria's boots marching through your villages. You've seen the blood of your family, of your friends stain their uniforms, but the terror will be eliminated. Just as it was when God used that unlikely man outmatched with his resources, Gideon, on the day of Midian, to deliver oppressed Israel. This time the deliverance is going to come through a child, a son, whose rulership will be of the entire world on His shoulders. So so here's the truth again. Here's what you take away from Isaiah 9 today. God has sent light and liberty through His Son so that we will turn from our sin and trust Him in hope. Now the time that's left to us, I want to invite you to focus with me on what God's prophet says about this child who is going to liberate from darkness. In the text, his person and his work is described to us through four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to look at those four names. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Most leaders who have great responsibility surround themselves with counselors who impart to them the wisdom that they need to make decisions. You know how important this is because whenever there's a, a shakeup in the president's cabinet, there's a lot of media attention, the, the, the kind of chaos that's going on in the White House. And the reason that creates distress is because those people who are around a leader of that kind of responsibility and capacity are expected to be knowledgeable about their area of responsibility. They're expected to give the leader good counsel so that he can execute good decisions. And when there's chaos and when there's uncertainty or there's incompetence, People get anxious because in that room, life-changing decisions are going to be made. Here's the thing about this title, Wonderful Counselor. The child who will rule from David's throne doesn't need any counselors. He does not need a cabinet. Because he himself is God's wisdom in person. The child himself is the disclosure of God's word, of God's will. So he is the wonderful counselor. Here's what that means. His knowledge of every point of data, his decisions in every circumstance is without a scintilla of error. It is without flaw. It is without weakness. It is without sin. He is the wonderful counselor. How many of us have had a season of our life or an aspect of our life that has been clouded with darkness because of the weakness or the error or the corruption of somebody who was in a position to make a decision? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a parent Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a politician, maybe it's a teacher, but somehow incompetence or corruption or foolishness in their thinking derails your life. Here's the good news. This one, the promised child never doesn't know. He never makes a mistake. He never compromises the truth. He never compromises wisdom. He never compromises purity in the rule of his people's lives. One author put it this way He said, This name, Wonderful Counselor, is the healing balm through which the Christian soul will find comfort and strength through time and eternity. Second name, Mighty God. Here's where we come to the reason for the season. God with us. Emmanuel. I am, um, I am an unashamed fan of movies with heroes. I'm an addict to the Marvel Universe and the Avengers. Uh, I'm drawn to any movie that has Navy SEALs in it. And I'm trying to, I've been trying to think about why am I drawn to these things. And I think it's this. It is the theme of of heroes with extraordinary might as they suit up to rid the world of injustice and to deal with evil. Who doesn't want to watch that? The second name that is given to this child who will restore Israel's joy tells us that he's not just a superheroic descendant from David's line. He is, in fact, God Himself come down. He's not a mythical figure. He's not a comic book hero. He is God Himself come down. And He's not just God Himself, but He is God in His power to act for His cause and for His people. Look at the title. He doesn't just say He's God. He says He's mighty God. Recall, look at the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will, will do this. Do you know the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? Do you know the line that we sing, Lord Sabaoth, His name? Do you know what that title means, Lord Sabaoth? It means Lord of hosts. It means this, He's the King of the armies of heaven. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The way that that God is going to come is stirred up in His affection, in His passion for His purpose, He's going to act. Later in his prophecy, Isaiah will say this, The Lord, Yahweh, goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. You know, Israel had their navy seals as well. The the scriptures call them mighty men. And the scriptures draw on that image to reveal Israel's God is a divine warrior. He's the dread champion from heaven. He's ready to bear his arm and ready to crush all of his people and his enemies. Listen, with this name, Mighty God, Isaiah is telling people who've gotten themselves into the thickness of the darkness of God's judgment that his unchallenged power is going to be unleashed for them through the child because of who he is. Third name. Everlasting Father. Now if you're familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with Orthodox Christianity, you know that God reveals himself in Scripture as the one true and living God who has existed for all eternity in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you know that, perhaps you might read this title and say, is Isaiah confused about the Trinity? Why is he calling the child the Father? Maybe you've never asked that question. I've just raised it for you. Here's the answer. Isaiah is not confused about the Trinity. Father was how a king was supposed to function for his people a good king's job was to provide for his people to protect his people to guide his people as a nation and what the spirit is saying through the prophet isaiah is the son the child will come and he will do that without exhaustion or without expiring because he is everlasting Father to his people. He guides them. He protects them. He provides for them. You know, earthly fathers wear out. No matter how strong they are, no matter how good they are. My own father is now in his 70s and is in failing health. When he was a young man, he was a top athlete. He was a soccer player in Britain. He was a striker. Do you know what a striker is? He was the guy that was charged to put the ball in the back of the net. And my dad's motto was this something's going in the back of the net. The ball, you, or both of you. But something's going in the back of the net. My dad was a Glasgow police officer, great big strapping man that I was never afraid to go into the city with. Today, because of failing health, my dad's using a walker. And my mom has to put him in the bathtub. And this Christmas, The whole family is gathering for Christmas because it might be the last one we get to see dad. Even the most strapping healthily of fathers who protect, provide, and guide their children wear out. At some point, the kids are on their own, right? Never happens with this father. Never happens with this one who is over God's people. He is the everlasting Father. For all eternity, He will provide. He will protect. He will guide His people. He is everlasting. The child who will inherit David's throne does not suffer from from finite fallen human limitations. Last title, and then we'll bring it home. The final name that is given to this child that will come is what? Prince of Peace. Could there be a more comforting name when you have Assyria sitting on your doorstep and waiting for them to roll over your city and over your house and over your family? Just a couple of chapters over, Isaiah is going to give this poignant portrait of the peace that this child will bring when his reign is finally and fully realized. The, the lion will lie down with the lamb. The child will sit next to the cobra's den, Isaiah chapter 11 says. And the picture is this, that all the strife, all the risk, all the darkness, all the death that characterize our co- corrupt creation now will be gone when this child's reign is fully and finally Realized, You know the word that's used for peace here? You had it up on your screen. Shalom. And in the Hebrew mind, that word shalom didn't just mean, I hope you don't get into a fight on the way home. I hope there's not a fight in your family today. It meant that, but shalom also meant this. I hope that you flourish with all of God's blessings. I hope that your family, I hope that your life is filled with all of the good that God can bring. So here's the hope that God gives His people. Think about it in the midst of this devastating, thick darkness. This child will be the prince who will bring shalom into your life. So how do God's people go from devastating gloom to gladness? Through the all-wise, mighty, unending provision, protection, and guidance of the one who restores wholeness to all of life. God himself coming down as a child. You know, we all trust all sorts of names to lift us from the sense of darkness and despair in this age for a bit. Some people trust the name that's on a bottle. Some people trust the name that they secretly type into their web browser to promise pleasure. Some might even actually trust the name they put on a ballot when they vote. Some might be putting trust in the name of their family. It might be that you're trusting the name of the enterprise that's before you to provide for you. It might be that you trust the name of another person to provide the sense of thrill or the sense of importance or even a sense of love in your life. Here's what you need to know today. That any name that we turn to for life, for light, for lasting happiness other than this name is temporary, it is deceptive, it is death producing, it is a sinful substitute. The child whose person and work are revealed through his, this God given name promises life and light and joy, not just for a season but for eternity. Well, you might sit there and say, well, thanks for the history. Thanks for the hope. But what does this have to do with me? Would you just turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to Matthew chapter 4 for just a moment, and then I'll be through. Matthew chapter 4. See if this sounds familiar. This is the Lord Jesus Christ beginning His ministry. Matthew 4, verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen, friends, loved ones, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, King David's greater son is the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come, is God in the flesh, who has come down for His people, for their sins, and for their salvation. Jesus, who was born of a virgin as the promised child. Jesus, who grew and lived sinlessly. Jesus, who went to the cross, and upon the cross as He died, bore the darkness and the death and the devastation of God's judgment for every person who would ever believe in him. Jesus, in whom the might of God is revealed as he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand on King David's throne, where now Jesus rules by His Spirit in the hearts and lives of everybody who believes in Him to give us the forgiveness of sins, to give us life and liberty and happiness in communion with Jesus Christ by His Spirit. And Jesus, who one day will return to put under His feet once and for all all of His enemies, All of his people's enemies so that we will no longer experience the death, the corruption, the incompetence, the injustice, the unrighteousness of this age. The son who came, the child who came, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor is Jesus Christ crucified and raised for his people. So how do you experience the life and the liberty that this child came to give? you repent and you believe. You turn from your sin, from the idols that you have created, from the other names in which you trust, and you turn to Jesus Christ, crucified and raised, and say, You are my hope. You are my life. You are my liberty. God has sent His Son, so that we would turn from our sin in the midst of our darkness and trust Him for hope, not just now, but for all eternity. Let's pray.